0: Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Nexo.io, Casper, and Exodus, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Tuesday, March 23rd, and today we are talking about stable coins in the hot seat. Bitcoin as a substitute for gold and a digital dollar prototype coming by July. There was an absolute flurry of content and commentary yesterday around the place of Bitcoin, stablecoins, DeFi, and the digital asset industry as a whole vis-a-vis U.S. government regulation, as well as how a digital dollar might shake that all up. Before we get into it, let's set the terms of the debate. One of the competitors for this cycle's top FUD is the government will ban it if it gets sufficiently threatening. Now, to be clear, banning, depending on your FUDster, could mean anything from an outright ban of use and holding, to forceful seizure, to limiting access to on and off ramps, to the more benign from a commercial standpoint, but no less threatening from a privacy standpoint, integration of the full crypto infrastructure into the AML KYC money surveillance apparatus. I've spent some time on this show looking into global versions where this FUD seems to be playing out. In particular, we've been watching the evolving situation in India and Nigeria. India, which seems gearing up for a bill that would have some sort of outright ban, although at least one finance minister says that that's not the case. And Nigeria, where the central bank of Nigeria first reiterated that banks should not be working with crypto users, which they've then subsequently rolled back just a little bit. Either way, however, really what everyone has been focused on is the U.S., particularly in the context of a new administration. The last administration had friends and foes alike when it came to Bitcoin and crypto. Trump obviously famously tweeted that he did not like Bitcoin or crypto, but we didn't really take that seriously as a threat because it was so clearly about Zuckerberg and Libra. Mnuchin was a much bigger enemy, probably wrote that text for Trump's tweet even, and clearly wanted to tighten the reins. In his final act, he was trying to require exchanges to collect more information when users transferred crypto to their own wallets. On the flip side, however, there was Brian Brooks, who was absolutely revolutionary at the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. The changes he oversaw are a huge reason why so many big institutions are now playing in this space, why so many big traditional banks feel like they have to race to catch up to allow people to offer their customers crypto services. However, as we know from physics, every action has a reaction, and to some extent, one reason why observers are so keenly watching the Biden administration is to see how much they're going to respond or try to walk back what Brooks and the OCC changed. On top of that, as the Biden administration has come to power, the price and volume around Bitcoin, stablecoins, and the rest of the digital asset industries have made them much more unignorable. The last time Joe Biden was in office, Bitcoin was about 430 bucks. Now it's been over $50,000 for 16 days in a row. Tether was barely out of diapers. Now it has a market supply above $40 billion and is doing upwards of $100 billion in volume per day. Combined with USDC, and you've got over $50 billion of USD approximates out there, so a lot more is at stake. With that, people have been watching two things, who has come in and what they're saying. On the who has come in side, Janet Yellen is back for another round, although this time as Treasury Secretary rather than SEC Chair. Gary Gensler too is back, although this time as SEC Chair instead of CFTC Chair. Of these two, there is much more optimism around Gensler, who has done a pretty fair bit of work to understand where the crypto industry is coming from, even teaching a course at MIT about Bitcoin and blockchain. And then of course we have someone who's still around in the form of Jay Powell, the Federal Reserve Chairman. His X factor in all these discussions is the potential of a central bank digital currency, a digital dollar that could potentially shift the US's relationship with these projects. Now, in terms of what we've seen these actors say so far over the last few months, up until now it's been pretty standard fare. One part, there's a lot of exciting potential here, one part we have to protect investors though, and one part, but it's also used by criminals. Over the last couple days, however, we've gotten both comments and news that could shift us into our next phase of understanding what the U.S.'s relationship with Bitcoin, stablecoins, and other digital assets is going to look like going forward. So let's talk about Powell speaking about CBDCs and cryptos at a Bank for International Settlements panel yesterday. Let's talk about the announcement of digital dollar prototypes coming this summer. And let's talk about new draft FATF guidelines around cryptocurrencies. First up, Powell did a session yesterday with leaders from the Bank for International Settlements, including Augustin Karstens, who we talked about last week. He was asked about cryptocurrencies and whether he saw them as a threat. And here's what he said.
1: We call them crypto assets. You know, they're they're highly volatile see bitcoin and therefore not really useful as a store of value and they're not backed by anything they're more of an asset for speculation so they're also not particularly in use as a means of payment it's more uh, a speculative asset that's that's essentially a substitute for gold rather than for the dollar and i think with crypto assets the the, the public needs to understand the risks the principal thing is there's the volatility There's also the outsized energy requirements requirement for for mining uh, and the fact that they're not backed by anything.
0: So let's break out these three reasons that he wasn't particularly impressed by cryptos. First, this idea of volatility or that it's just an asset for speculation. Basically, he's dismissing Bitcoin and any other crypto as something that he does not have to stress about or really factor into his consideration around global monetary competition. While many Bitcoiners grabbed onto the essentially a substitute for gold piece as a great tweet and a knock to the gold bugs who they're trying to convert or at least undermine, Powell was saying this more like a giant shooing away a fly. Gold is, to him, clearly irrelevant, an unimportant, antiquated part of the fiat system that he sits at the helm of. In that way, a substitute for that thing does not present a threat. Second, let's talk about this old canard of backed by nothing. Alex Kruger tweeted, why do policymakers have to insist on saying Bitcoin is not backed by anything? As if it mattered. What are diamonds backed by? Nothing. And that's okay. If you really have to have an answer, Bitcoin is backed by a distributed ledger and by the energy it takes to produce one. This is all so repetitive. Are we going to be having the same arguments forever? First of all, I resonate with this frustration wholeheartedly. But to answer Alex's question, The reason they insist on saying it is that the entire premise of fiat money is that it is backed, backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government, which actually includes even more backing, the backing, for example, of the US military. This new money then, backed by math and electricity and a network, is in contrast to the money backed by governments. When they're saying it's backed by nothing, what they really mean is it's not backed by a government.
2: Until now, blockchain technology has been a series of compromises. No layer one protocol exists in the market that supports everything enterprises, developers, and consumers need from decentralized applications. Meet Casper. Casper provides the blockchain ecosystem with a solution that makes no compromises around decentralization, security, or performance. Learn more at casper.network. Hey guys, I'm excited to share that this week we have a special product launch sponsor. Exodus is simplifying how we interact with crypto applications so that we can all reap the benefits of decentralized finance and take ownership of our financial future. With the Exodus digital wallet, there's no need to download separate apps or visit multiple websites. Through beautifully designed desktop and mobile applications, Exodus users can secure, manage, and exchange their cryptocurrency in one easy-to-use wallet. With Exodus's non-custodial nature, nothing stands between you and your assets. Take control of your crypto and download Exodus today. Visit the App Store or Google Play to download, or visit exodus.com for more information.
0: Now the third piece of FUD listed in this one-sentence FUD festival from Jerome Powell. It's a nearly throwaway phrase, but there's this line, there's also the outsized energy requirements for mining. To my knowledge, this is the first time that I've ever seen Powell publicly mention, or at least recently publicly mention, energy consumption as a critique of cryptos. It suggests to me that this is a bigger behind-the-scenes topic than we've seen. Interestingly, however, this is all actually part two of a question response that included a part one about central bank digital currencies, where Powell argued that cryptocurrencies weren't actually a driving force or motivator.
1: Our work on CBDCs is not primarily motivated by the appearance on the scene of cryptocurrencies and stablecoins. It really is. uh, Fundamentally, technology has made it possible for us to offer a new form of trusted money And that sovereign anchor that has been so important for economic development for a very long time. And we're looking carefully at whether to do that.
0: This leads us to some interesting and sort of under the radar news. Yesterday, Bloomberg published a piece called Federal Reserve's Digital Dollar Push Worries Wall Street. So, what happened? Last year, we learned that not only was the Fed paying attention to digital currencies and a digital dollar, but the Boston Fed was actively engaged with MIT on developing prototypes. James Kuna, who's leading the project for the Boston Fed, said that as soon as July, they plan to unveil that research. They plan to share at least two prototype software platforms that could move, store, and settle transactions. They're not necessarily going to be blockchain platforms, and they insist that the work is strictly to show what's possible. Not to take a stand on whether they should go all the way with the digital dollar, nor to take a stand on major thorny issues. Kuna said, quote, "...we think it's important that we not wait for the policy debate because then we'll be a year or so behind. This will take significant outreach to the industry and serious debate." So what are those thorny issues? What is the serious debate about? Three big ones that stand out are 1. Anonymity, 2. Consumer protections around breaches or mistaken transactions, and 3. Whether the Fed hosts customer accounts directly. For those in the Bitcoin space, there is no doubt that the biggest issue is anonymity. Cash, by preserving privacy, is a tool for human rights. A central bank digital currency could represent the exact opposite, perfect surveillance of all transactions. And while some digital dollar advocates like former CFTC Chair Christian Carlos say that the U.S. digital dollar would have anonymity or would require to have some amount of anonymity based on the U.S. Constitution, there are many who simply don't buy that line of thinking. However, for the banks and lobbyists that feature in the Bloomberg story, the big issue is not the anonymity, it is the direct accounts. In short, all of the intermediaries in our current cumbersome overweight system are really, really nervous that they're about to lose their cut. For commercial banks, it's about consumer deposits. Consumer deposits are perhaps their best source of income, especially recurring paychecks. It provides them the liquidity to go do all the things they do, loans for mortgages, etc. Your average consumer, when asked where is a more safe and secure place to keep my money, a random commercial bank or the Fed, is going to choose the Fed. That could create absolute havoc for other parts of the market. Payment processors are also nervous about being cut out of the system. When you transact in cash, settlement is final. The cash has exchanged hands from one person to another. No two people can have the same $20 bill in their possession at the same time. When you transact with cards, that's not the case. It's a series of debts and IOUs facilitated by these high-level networks who do the ultimate settlement over a matter of days, obviously charging fees all along this path. If a digital dollar includes cash-like settlement without those intermediaries, it could be an existential threat to their model. And importantly, there is a lot to be said for this disintermediation. For consumers, it could mean smaller fees. Holding your money with the Fed could be more security, as I mentioned before. For vendors, settlement happening immediately could reduce costs associated with fraud significantly. And what's more, these benefits are now getting wrapped up with the Biden administration and Democrats' push for economic fairness and bringing in people who don't have good access to the current banking system. Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown is the new chair of the Senate Banking Committee he is urging the Fed to create digital currency accounts directly for Americans as a way to cut out payday lenders. As I mentioned before, this could be a huge threat to the deposits that commercial banks rely on to fuel the mortgage system and more. Now, when it comes to combating these existential threats, these different groups, the banks on the one hand, the payment processors on the other, are taking different approaches. The banks are the oldest school, so they're lobbying in the oldest school ways. Their biggest trade group has told Congress that a digital dollar isn't necessary. The senior vice president of payments at the American Bankers Association said, rushing anything of this potential magnitude could introduce unintended consequences that threaten the stability of the banking system without contributing meaningfully to economic inclusion. The payment processors, which are effectively fintechs at this point, are a little bit more sophisticated, and instead of just trying to outright stop this, they're trying to wheedle their way in. Both Visa and MasterCard are trying to build systems and rails that can integrate with CBDCs or even power them. I've said before that I think a CBDC digital dollar is absolutely inevitable. I do think there's going to be intense pressure to implement it in a way, however, that keeps commercial banks holding the deposits. The government has shown extraordinary sensitivity to banking liquidity issues and isn't likely to me to pursue a strategy that would cause further problems there. That's a level of centralization that I simply don't believe the US has the appetite for. I think, on the other hand, the anonymity concerns are much more real. I'm not super convinced by Giancarlo's argument, although yes, almost for sure, any US digital dollar will be better than a Chinese digital dollar. But there is plenty of evidence to me that we're on a trend to more financial surveillance, not less. Let's take, for example, the Financial Action Task Force, or FATF's Updated Crypto Guidelines. Now, quick terminology for whatever stupid reason, they call them virtual assets and virtual asset service providers, but either way, FATF is a global organization that is made up of non-democratically elected, appointed representatives from member states. Member states include most major nation states, plus the EU. They had released guidance in 2015 and updated it in 2019, and while most Bitcoiners are no fans of their guidance, Coin Center's take is that while they are also against the mass warrantless surveillance, which is the word they used to describe what FATF was recommending, they appreciated that at least FATF put crypto on a level playing field with traditional financial institutions, imposing no stricter or more privacy-invading policies than those already in place. Unfortunately, CoinCenter's first take on this new guidance suggests that it represents a major shift in that in three ways. First, they believe there could be new surveillance obligations for non-custodial entities. Effectively, one could read this and interpret a vastly expanded definition of virtual asset service providers, which previously might have only meant exchanges, now including everyone from DEC software developers to Lightning Node operators to smart contract participants. Basically, anyone who participates in a crypto network could be responsible for the sort of AML-KYC customer information tracking, i.e. knowing everything about every other actor in their network and reporting it. This functionally would destroy those peer-to-peer networks where that would be entirely impossible to do. CoinCenter also believes that this draft advocates against peer-to-peer transactions and transactions using privacy-enhancing technology and expands recommendations around what transactions should be subject to the travel rule, which is a record-keeping requirement that under current law only applies to transactions between regulated entities. Of course, all of these are big issues, but this expanded definition of VASPs to include people who are just nodes in a network seems like the most direct threat to the architecture of a new system built on network power to me. Importantly, I've seen numerous mainstream MMT-style thinkers on Twitter defend the notions behind this sort of thinking from the FATF, down to including the idea that developers of a protocol should be responsible for what everyone does with a protocol, that node operators should be responsible for whatever is flowing through their node. And at core, I believe that this debate comes back to and is driven by and is animated by stablecoins and stablecoin issuers. The Fed may not be saying that it's coming out against USD stablecoins, but the folks that are driving these conversations, the folks that introduced the STABLE Act last December, that's what they're taking aim at. This is a group who believes that anyone who touches money in any sort of fundamental way needs to be regulated by a bank. No exception, full stop. And if that means the undermining of a totally new way to design an architecture for a financial system, that is a reasonable price to pay. The destruction of that opportunity of something new, something more people-driven, an externality of the safety they perceive on the other side of AML-KYC regimes. That's why I titled this piece Stablecoins on the Hot Seat, even though I didn't talk that much about stablecoins. I do believe that these radically expanded definitions in the FATF guidance could have big implications for Bitcoin as well. I think the more that government defines its power in ways that can be interpreted expansively, the more it hurts everything. But as I said, I do think that when it comes to what is being aimed at, it's that huge amount of volume happening through fiat denominated stablecoins. I think that's what has the attention of governments around the world, and it seems that that's what has the attention of the United States. Anyways, guys, let me know what you think. I appreciate you listening. I hope this show was informative to you. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.